Jerry Developer News, episode number 60 for Monday, September 16th, 2013. Somebody by Joel of Furby. You're listening to the Cherry Developer News Podcast, a weekly show about technologies and trends developers are interested in. This week, it's not about Furby, but about the new Apple iPhones. Your hosts, Sujan Kapadia, Joel Confino, and me, Ken Rimple. We talk about whether we're going to go out and buy a new iPhone. Do they have the same appeal they used to have? And just what's going on under the hood. We also cover former charioteer Brian McAllister's long-tailed treasure trove. A great Java Zone talk about some fantastic APIs he's used. Spring's new Yarn framework for Hadoop 2.0, the Go language, $100 tablets, and more on the robot overlords. Got a day left to do a field trip and want to learn more about the latest trends in large-scale data processing, analysis, and techniques? Come to downtown Philadelphia on October 30th to our Data IO show. We'll have talks on subjects such as Hadoop, HBase, Neo4j's graph database, scientific processing with Python's NumPy and SciPy, and much more. See the emerging generation of large-scale, high-volume data processing analysis and meet the leaders who are making it happen today. That's October 30th at the Sierra Center in Philadelphia. Tickets are only 80 bucks. Sign up at mergingtech.chariotsolutions.com slash dataio2013. The developer news is sponsored by Hadle. Want to increase your team's productivity? Try Hadle. It's a question and answer system that lets people ask, answer, and rate questions. Internal company information gets hard to find, lives in emails, or only in experts' heads. Stop the repetitive question and answer sessions on topics they've already covered. Share that information with Hadle. It's like a private stack overflow or Yahoo Answers site for your own company. More information, including a free trial, at Hadle.com. That's H-A-Y-D-L-E.com. And by Chariot Solutions Education Services. Public and private training and mentoring in subjects such as Spring, Maven, Scala, Grails, Android, and more. Inquire about private tech training by the developers who bring you this podcast, fill the emerging technologies for the enterprise, and much more. We only teach the things we do. Visit us online at chariotsolutions.com slash education. Now on to the developer news. Developer news for Monday, September 16th, 2013. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Furby Destroyer Sujan Kapadia. <laughs> and I'm Joel Confino. I'm Furby Buyer Ken Rimple. My mom never did get me a Furby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so not getting a Furby, let's let us let us segue right into the iPhone. Because um, it's like I didn't get myself an iPhone. Um, in fact, I'm off contract. Uh, I have my uh, Galaxy Note 2 and I shattered the screen a couple weeks ago and I had to replace it. And so I thought to myself, well, this is a chance for me to get the next blah. And I thought, you know what? I like the Galaxy Note 2 too much. And I spent the money and I got the screen replaced. I did not buy myself. I did not wait for an Apple product. Wow. And that's, you know, I mean, I've been, I've been, what is, what do you want to call it? Golf Exercised? Clap. Yeah, golf club to the head, something the like golf that. golf clap. Yes, the golf clap. Yes. <laughs> um, because I, I just don't feel like they're leading anymore at mm. all. I don't know. I mean, was there anything with the iPhone new release that really set anything on fire? I was not excited at all about it. I followed the live blog pretty much the whole way through, and I'm like, okay, Android does it, Android does it, Android does it. Like I do every year when they come out with the new iPhone. and It's, it's very, it's very yeah, true. I'm going to go to an Android. I have a 4S. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked it, but it was not. there was no big moment where there was anything, except the fingerprint scanner is very cool. I do hope that the fingerprint scanner actually works, and then we can finally get rid of passwords, but... If it really works, like I want the fingerprint scanner on my MacBook and everything else because I don't want to have to type passwords everywhere. Although technically it's a subdermal 
it does some sort of subdermal scanning. It doesn't just do a pure like, oh, this is your fingerprint. It does something a little cooler than that. I thought that aspect was cool, but yeah. Yeah. Some are up in arms about the whole like, oh my god, it's gonna you know send my fingerprints to the NSA and like, dude. That fingerprint scanner doesn't really protect you that much because the minute you're surfing and using apps, it sends all your data all across the board anyway. So it's like you're you're giving yourself up. You already know. Yeah, they already know much yeah, about you. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not really that worried about the yeah. the hash of your fingerprint being stored on there. So let's see. So there's that. What else is there? Um, Apple.com slash or just open Safari. It'll sell to you, right? Um, Ooh, blue. Yeah. Well, they have these new. So the the 5s is the is the new one that has. I mean, the one thing if you're a photographer buff. And you don't feel like carrying around a camera. The camera is really good for the 5S. Um, it's it's even better. Now it's a larger sensor for the same number of pixels, 8 megapixels, which is And the dual plenty. LED flash. Right, right. That's, is that for color balance and things like that? I don't yeah. know. Before I take it back. You're right. That, that's the one thing that sort of wowed me. That is a killer feature is a camera. And you don't really need a super high-resolution camera. I mean, the, the one benefit you get, I guess, is cropping. But the de- the negative is the more pixels they pack in, the more noise. You can take more accurate you know, pictures of, of the inside of my pockets. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I mean, they have the, they made a big deal out of the 64-bit processor. I don't uh, I don't have any idea what that actually means, except for <laughs> everything goes faster, or we can do more parallel. There's another thing though that may turn out to be popular once the hardware you know is there and the software catches up, which is this coprocessor for motion. So um, yes, there, there's yeah, a lot of these that. products like Jabra and different things have these bands that you can wear around your wrist and they track um, your waking and sleeping patterns by just tracking movement basically. Oh my God. And they can do all kinds of stuff. Well, the iPhone apparently now can tell whether you're driving, whether you're walking, whether you're resting, whether you're going to the bathroom, whether you're going to the bathroom and all those things Ew. you can use for like health apps. Like yeah, Nike Plus you. is going to take advantage of oh, the Nike Plus actually, processor. Yeah. So actually that could be pretty cool because you know, people are buying separate pieces of hardware to do this and now to be kind of embedded in your phone. We Although have... I'm scared what insurance companies may do with all that data. Yeah. yeah. Don't give me a good don't don't load an app from your insurance company. <laughs> um yeah, especially you're, me. La- you're in the lazy category. You just you a much higher premium. <laughs> you just drove and, and they'll they'll do it this way. You just drove to the gas station that has a Dunkin' Donuts. You are now in the Dunkin' Donut line. <laughs> we have a person at Dunkin' Donuts that has an iPhone 5C who just got a bagel for you, and we know that's not good for you, so we're going to deny you health care. A little um, notification ooh. comes up from Aetna. You've been eating from that bag of chips a little too long. <laughs> I love that. You just, walk, you just drive through, and the NFC tag will just t- tell them what you want. Oh, that could be cool. Oh, so maybe we shouldn't idea. be so harsh on them. I mean, you know, it is, it's evolutionary, not revolutionary, yet again. Um, they do know how to add little things that, like, you initially think are, meh, who cares? And they come up with these killer apps. So maybe the apps are going to be the thing that really sell people. Does it have phone. NFC? Do you guys know? I do no, not know. No, it does but, not have NFC. But the thing I also think of is, too, like, maybe I'm just not visionary enough myself, but, like, how much more does your phone add? Do you actually want it to do? Taser. <laughs> no? Okay, okay that's taser? A, that is a killer app. I need a taser. I would buy a taser. That is phone. truly a killer app. I would buy a taser. Phone. Settle down. <laughs> yeah. Pun intended. Pun intended, truly. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it looks cool from that perspective. Here's my problem with the iPhone is they still went for tiny, tiny screen, and my yeah. eyes are going. And it's yeah. like, you know, I finally am going to need glasses, and I'm putting things out to my arm's length to try to read them. Completely and, agree. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get older. I think that uh, by the time that the people who originally bought iPhones, all the, the, the newer generation folks, get to be about 60, the iPhone will be the size of one of those giant remotes you get in the radio <laughs> Yeah. The, the S4, is, I think it's Samsung? Yeah. Se- sexy as hell. It's great. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, the Galaxy 
uh, Note 2 and all those other ones. And, and even the HTCs and the other models. There's just a lot of choice with Android and most of the larger screen stuff. And I'm seeing more and more people with larger screen phones. And they Apple pun or the Wall Street punished Apple. I mean, their stock just tanked. And part of it was because they came out with the 5C, the cheaper version. The plastic shell. But it wasn't that cheaper. Like, so they thought, you know, this is your cheaper offering and it's still going to be way too much. They thought they were going after China. And, you know, like, why on earth didn't they cut the price in half between like the 5C and the 5S? So that was really another thing because in terms of, not in terms of coolness, but in terms of market share, you know, emerging markets, they, the, you know, the battle's still to be fought in like China and all these sorts of things where there's just a huge market share potential. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I thought that that was going to be $99, but it's subsidized. Unsubsidized is like $599. Exactly. For a plastic phone. Exactly. They needed to get down probably to like a $299, $199 exactly. price point. Yeah, yeah. So interesting stuff. I think, you know, nothing, nothing hugely new there. I think that the apps will probably bear it out. The new APIs will bear out that it's worth it for people to want to stay with the iPhone. Um, but I just, my eyes just wanted a larger one. Even, you know, I went down to the, uh, the new iPad, the smaller iPad, and I'm squinting a lot and going, you know, yeah, it is harder to read smaller pixels. How surprising, you know? Well, anyway, uh, so tell us what you think about this kind of stuff. Uh, we're on Twitter at, at TechCast. Uh, when also you can subscribe to the podcast if you found us through a Google search by going to tech, uh, emergingtech.chariotsolutions.com and clicking on the podcast link. So that's where we're going to be. So let's get into some of our news items here uh, for episode number 60. We're at 60. That's amazing. Um, so let's talk about REST servers built on Netty. We keep talking about uh, walking around and talking about Netty, but there's a nice uh, article about this, right? Or at least a project. Yeah. So the project that it, it's been around, but just wanted to highlight is called REST Express. And it's basically if you have to build uh, some sort of REST uh, application, you want a server that's going to serve up some REST data. You might have uh, started by looking at the servlet API or Spring MVCs, you know, capabilities for REST or Jersey or something. But this is something built on JBoss Netty. So you're going to have theoretically this, you know, NIO, this faster kind of um, IO, and it's very lightweight. And it's just a good alternative to keep in mind, um, you know, beyond servlets. Basically embeddable in any app you want, in a sense. So you just get your own REST-based server for free almost. Yeah, and you look at like um, in the Rails world, there's or in the Ruby world, there's Rails and then there's uh, Sinatra. And so people use Rails for like the full-featured apps and then Sinatra for, you know, I want to rip out a Rails or a REST uh, server. Right. And so I think this is like the Sinatra kind okay. of thing, like the lighter weight but in this case, also theoretically higher performance version of uh, of something. Mm. So your whole app stack now may be, you know, forget the JEE container. It's the, you know, the um, single page app kind of thing with the heavyweight JavaScript framework like uh, Ember.js. Mm. And then it's hooked up to REST Express and then that's it. Oh, wow. I wonder if some of these things are so lightweight, like you could actually like run them in a mobile device and it could like, you know, mobile device serving as a mobile device serving as a server. Probably didn't hear what I just said for the last few minutes, but okay. No, you can go with it. I think we heard it. Okay. Just, it was very quiet, that's all. Microphone technique. All right. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so so that's an interesting thing. Now, you have a couple other links that you're sharing in there, too. Um, let's see. So so there's one about uh, Ynetty for, and basically it's because of the native I.O. So there's right. this nice little website, um, the softwarecraft.blogspot.canada. It's a, a blogger uh, URL. Um, and it's uh, the the writer of this talked about how uh, Netty gave him a super scalable application. So, uh, did we look at this? I'm just looking at this for the first time, to be honest. 
terrible statement for the dev news. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just it was just a good overview of uh, you know basically of, of why Netty was an attractive alternative to servlets, and it really was like you said the the NIO the the native IO and how it can handle lots and lots of connections right because of that. Now, what he was testing apparently was he was looking at uh, three different uh, application stacks. So he had Apache Mina, uh, Grizzly, and JBoss Netty, and so he was looking at each of those. Uh, and ended up selecting uh, with uh, the performance test that he did. He ended up uh, using uh, the Netty project. So, or at least he's looking at the performance impact of of the of Netty in general. But uh, anyway, so a little article there. There's a fair amount of chat. Uh, anything else we have to say about this stuff? Well, Vertex IO, which we've been talking about, That's or Netty, Vertex right. that uses Netty too. Yes. So it's just kind of this whole asynchronous right. node, you know, thing. And and Netty's just kind of a good entrant to that. Right. And it's kind of funny because like. Python and Ruby have had it for a while. Python has, uh, I think, Twisted. And right, Ruby right. has Event Engine or Event Machine or something like that. But, right. yeah, they've all had it for a while, so I think Java is now catching up. Right. Cool. Spring Yarn. So uh, Hadoop. Um, let's talk a little bit about Spring Yarn. What is that? So Yarn is the yet another resource negotiator. It's like the next – it's MapReduce version 2. Ooh. And so um, they basically improve performance by adding um, some additional daemons that, to to take care of resource negotiation basically. And while I'm not a, a MapReduce expert at all, what impressed me about this was simply that Spring continues to be on the cutting edge of taking uh, basically all these different frameworks that are – really important and putting an easier to use interface on them. So when you use Spring, you know, they're out in front of the JEE kind of APIs very quickly. But here's an example of them also, you know, coming up with uh, support very early on for new versions of MapReduce as they're really, you know, pushing their support for data. So with Spring, you really get this kind of cool, you're implementing some business logic and really they are like this, this catch-all plumbing kind of framework that plugs into all these other things. And so right. this is an example of that. Yeah, they have another thing called Spring XD, which I read about recently. It's like extreme data or something. It's like their data ingestion platform. Yeah, they, they announced that at Spring 1. That was okay. the big launch that they had. It's like a big data thing, you know, data ingestion. that handles a bunch of different things. But again, like it sort of takes care of that for you, and you can focus on your business logic. I'm sure it's not as simple as that, but it sounded really cool. Yeah. Yet another piece of middleware that makes things easier. Yeah. Coolness. So check out Spring uh, Spring Yarn. Uh, yeah, and and also Spring IO definitely because they that was one of the things that they talked about at uh, Spring One Two GX uh, this week uh, this last week, um, and so uh, that was one of their big announcements. Um, all right. Plus the fact that they're going to support Java Eight as soon as it comes out, and uh, you know, too do, late to the game. Yeah, I know. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, where are we here? The long tail treasure trove. So this was exciting. So this was uh, from our friend Brian McAllister, who is an ex charioteer, an yep. ex ninger, uh, lives in the valley, and he has all kinds of interesting stuff to say. But this long trail treasure trove is a presentation that he put together of all these really cool Java based projects that you should be using that are open source and do the, all kinds of really neat stuff. I love these kind of presentations, and he does them on some regular frequency. And uh, so I don't know how many are in there, probably like 20. Wow. Just to highlight a couple of these. Uh, they're really cool, though. So one of them is called XBean Finder. This is uh, open source projects. It'll find all the classes in a jar that have your custom annotation, and it uses ASM for speed, 
So it flies through the, the jar and finds all the classes and for security, because if you're loading the classes, then you're running static initializers and things like that. So it's more secure actually to use ASM. Mm. So that's cool. So basically, you know, you put app plugin on all your code and you use this thing to find it fast. And I've had that problem before and it can be slow if you're like traversing large class yeah. paths. I've, I've used Spring before because it has utilities to do that within a Spring context, but this sounds like a lot more generic. Yeah, like a little, just like a little tight thing. That was one of them. Another one's called uh, Airline, which is a Java annotation-based framework for parsing Git-like command line structures. So Apache has Apache CLI, uh, which I use if I have to write some kind of command line thing. But this is cool. This is just makes it easier to do another command line utility that's very cool looking or, you know, command line processing framework. Uh, another one called Jancy, which is eliminate boring console output. So basically it lets you with Java, you can, if you do system.out and you put any kind of like fancy coloring or formatting, it just looks like crap. Basically it doesn't <laughs> yeah. actually work. Right. But if you use this framework, you can do stuff like you can have your Java console app and it can spit out, you know, colored, you know, have the command line actually be, you know, the command prompt be colored. Is that what cools are? Is that are cools like little icons or something like that? I'm not sure, but I this, but I saw the screenshots and I wanted to do something like this. <laughs> so, so ASCII art in color from your Java app. Very cool. Um, a couple others, Fane. So it's just a way to easily, it's an open source from Netflix, a way to easily write Java clients that consume web services. So you might have used Jersey or a bazillion other things, but Fane is just kind of like this one I had never heard of that Netflix had. So you can, you know, you want to consume a web service from within your Java app. Here's a nice API to do that. And then the other, I mean, there's a million of them, but just for a last one that's in here, just to mention, uh, the Jackson module afterburner. <laughs> So, so Jackson, wow. Jackson module that uses bytecode generation to speed up the data binding 30 to 40%. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, now XML serialization, deserialization, all this stuff, like, can really kill application performance. I just know, like, when we were moving a giant application from uh, IBM WebSphere to Tomcat, Tomcat is just as fast as WebSphere, but there was this issue with Java, uh, with XML parsing or until we put the right xml parser in like it killed performance by like two to three times xml is like one of these weird things where it's annoying and and, uh, and it can <laughs> the wrong people. library can it, really hurt you it is yeah. and trying to get the right version of Xerxes or whatever the heck it is it just you know stacks or something it's just gonna be this like total nightmare mm-hmm. like the class path nightmare of finding the xml parser so anyway the fact that this thing you know can speed up data binding uh, could actually be really significant because it's something that can actually really impact your app. Yeah, a lot. Of, I mean, we use Jackson heavily, and a lot of people even use it in the Android world and stuff. So for, just for that mobile data and that kind of stuff, this could be a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of things in this, which we put the link on. I'm sure we'll put the link in the show notes from uh, Brian's uh, blog post. But the I guess this is his Java Zone presentation, but the long tail treasure trove. I guarantee you, you probably will find some really good stuff in there. Just little utilities, keeping the back of your mind. Who Very did this cool. presentation again? Uh, Brian McAllister. Do you know him? No. He's okay. A, yeah. As we said, he's an ex-chariot uh, person okay. and worked at Ning for a long time, too. So yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. He went really... West Coast, and he's on the West Side now. Yeah. Sharp guy. Yes. And uh, he's a, a member of Apache, I believe. Nice. Sweet. Yes. I think I believe you're right. Um, okay. I think this is the one that I contributed this week. <laughs> it's been a rough week for me. Uh, the Intellectual Property Law and FOSS, uh, Free and Open Source Software, One Can Help the Other. Um, this is just an interesting little uh, article, uh, which you know, the actual URL kind of on outercurve.org uh, starts with frenemies, uh, how IP law helps free and open source communities. And so this is someone, he's a professor. Uh, he uh, was a, a 
corporate counsel for a place called Lab 126, which was a company Amazon has uh, that uh, designs electronic uh, products like the Kindle Fire. And so uh, he was talking a bit about, um, you know, how copyright leaves open space for those other uh, uh, licensing tools so that, you know, the language is there for us to then build things like open source licenses. Um, so he kind of lays out the framework there, uh, talks a bit about the DCMA and how uh, there's some protection that open source can use if they feel like they're being violated, um, that they, they have some shields around things where you can get some protection, uh, you know, trademarks. Um, you know, one of the things about trademarks is that uh, uh, effective branding is one of the key ways by which free and open source projects distinguish themselves and trademark law helps ensure that effective branding can occur in the free and open source world. Um, so for instance, without trademark law, someone that forks a FOSS project might use the same marks as the original source in order to borrow on the original source's reputation and thereby draw users to the forked version. And so basically you can't, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because the law uh, protects you uh, for that trademark law. Uh, and also things like uh, he does bring up patents. Uh, and so uh, let's see, patents law of concept of prior art. So the fact that that's in the law, patents technically shouldn't issue on inventive concepts that have already been developed and released prior to the public, uh, to the would-be patent holder inventing or filing for the same invention. Um, so basically he's saying that, uh, if I remember correct here, um, that, you know, the, the, these patents can't be just a, a concept. You can't patent a concept. You have to patent the instance of a creation of a realization of the concept. So if you had an idea out there and you were working in your open source framework for it, someone comes out with a patent, and that patent is similar to what you're doing in terms of what it's doing, but it does it in a totally different way. You're protected. So I kind of it's kind of like a connection between these five topics and how they affect open source. Hmm. So if you're dealing with open source law, you might want to read through these and see what he has to say. And he has a link in there to a site called post-issue.org, which is just essentially um, – a way to post issues to patents. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And and we we think we talked about that before. We did. That, that's a great uh, idea. So if you can so identify prior art. Yeah, yeah, you can basically volunteer your time to go there and try to kill crappy and weak patents that like rounded fun. corners or something. <laughs> a, a rectangle is a patent. Yeah. <laughs> um. Hey, hundred dollar tablets. Oh yeah. Any good? Hey, definitely stocking stuffers this year. Yeah. All right. Sorry. So talk to me. Probably talk to me about me the, the Intel one hundred tablet. So it's kind of funny because, you know, Intel sort of <clears throat> grew as a company in, you know, building chips for servers and PCs and that whole market and sort of not efficient, high-power devices. And now they've sort of had to switch gears <coughs> and really focus on mobile devices. As we <laughs> Excuse me, small computing, <laughs> low-power devices, as you know, pretty much everyone has. And they're claiming that they have a chip that's going to be included in sub-$100 tablet devices by the U.S., 2040 ho holiday season. Really? So that sounds pretty damn cool because I didn't even think they could build tablets that are actually worth using under $100. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what these things are when they come out. I remember when I was six, I wanted a LCD calculator in the worst way. And it cost my parents good money for a standard ads attract multiplying <laughs> divide calculator. And now a calculator is one set of transistors of billions inside of your computer. Right. And if if they can really, you know, actually come out with this promise, you know, deliver on it. Why not, right? There'll be a tablet in everyone's hand because that, that'll be wonderful. something affordable in all developing nations all you know, all over the world. That's a big deal, you know. And it'd be nice if you get a. <laughs> wouldn't it be great if you had a tablet, the back of which was a solar panel, and you just turn it upside down and you charge it, and then you pick it up and you keep going, and then connect that with low power Wi-Fi everywhere, you yeah. know. 
Or maybe and, not even tablet, just a cover that can connect yeah, to the right. thing to charge it from solar power. Sure, sure. Why not, right? Yeah, I think we're pretty close to, to really um, getting large numbers of people who can't connect now access to this stuff, especially as, you know, uh, these other types of wireless Internet connections are becoming online. So I don't know if any of that made sense. I have to fill time somehow. It all sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they put in this article that the, te- gives me a headache. That the, that the technology <laughs> for the tablets, the cheap technology, it's getting it's increasing faster than consumers' expectation for performance. That's so basically like. it means that uh, the high-end tablets, which are still selling a premium, could be preempted by these low-end tablets because people don't actually expect that much out of a tablet. Yeah. So they're like, well, this one – I can surf the web and I can download Angry Birds. And that one I can surf the web and download Angry Birds. And this one's sub 100 and that one's like $700. That can have a chilling effect towards building the high-end devices. You know, it's like the same thing where all the laptops people are buying these days are super cheap, semi-garbage laptops. Right. Unless you're in a Mac. Yeah, um, all this makes me wonder what Michael Dell's going to do now that he's taken back control of Dell. And he and, did win it, right? He did Yeah, win he back did control. supposedly from what I read last week. But uh, yeah, I don't know how he's going to bring the company back. Where did he bring the money in? I mean, if people are always going for the low end. Exactly. There's just too much. I mean, they're trying to focus on enterprise services now is what their shtick is. But I have no idea how they're going to actually turn around the entire company yeah, unless he sells off large parts of it or you know, divests it or something. Because enterprises are going to the cloud. And, I mean, exactly. it really is happening. Like yeah. you know, some companies that you would just never believe are actually now yeah. looking I'm, at seriously outsourcing a lot to the cloud is just what I hear the rumblings of. Sure. Well, right. there's a lot of companies now from what I hear that, you know, smaller companies, they don't have their own IT data center or anything because it's completely in the cloud or, as you said, outsourced to another company to handle. Right. Right, absolutely. We have one more item here, uh, and this must be yours, Sujan. Oh yeah, we have. Oh, I guess we skipped a few. Cell so- Oh, did we? Oh, hold on, let's go back. Um, well, the go the, the language summarized. Who has that one? I do. All right, let's go with it. So, I Go is not new. Something Google is really pushing forward and sort of developing. And I really didn't know anything about it except it had something to do with some operating system called Plan Nine that Bell Labs developed. Like ages ago. Anyway, I read through this website because he really summarizes and boils down what Go is like in three bullet points and then you can read further. But it's pretty cool. There is no inheritance in Go. Everything's completely object-oriented, but everything's inherited by a composition. Mm. So what you do is, I I guess it's sort of like mix-ins, but they call it automatic message delegation via embedding. You, You create an interface and then you can just sort of put other interfaces in there like it is it can be composed of other interfaces and it just basically acquires the behaviors of that interface or that method so you're basically delegating to another class but it just happens sort of behind the scenes seamlessly you don't inherit anything interesting yeah all the polymorphism is via interfaces and then the namespacing via exports doesn't really sound exciting at all but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. How dare you bring this to no, just... <laughs> The syntax looks kind of weird, and that's just because I haven't really had any time to play around with, play around with Go at all. It doesn't but, uh, feel normal. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I guess it's like one of those things where it's, it's a very opinionated language that has some strong, like, you know, like we do it this way and, you know, don't use inheritance anymore, and it's not good, and it just leads to a lot of problems and confusion and makes it that much tougher for the compiler to deal with. So I think it's, it's something to look at. It seems like Google, from what I've read, is doing trying to do more and more things in go and maybe moving away from java a little bit i don't i don't know why but it, i just thought it was interesting because i keep hearing about it i think we even had an et talk on something go related we, i think we did last yeah. year so I, yeah it was called why are there go programmers 
which was a good question. I was wondering. Did they go, did they go to the talk? No, no, that's what it was called. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and did they go there? No, never mind. Um, all right, cool. Yeah, that, it definitely looks like a totally different language to me. But uh, And is Go a language that's going to end up compiling down to a binary? Is that is it a compiled language? Uh, I'm throwing good you on the spot. question. I have no idea. Now, maybe we'll, we can was. look it up in Google, but that's what I thought. I wasn't 100 percent sure. Anyway, I think we need to spend a little bit of time on Go and see where it's where it's going. And <laughs> 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 this giant, and thousands of souls cried out and turning off their podcast. All right, what else do we have? Oh, I, I, so I think we should add a segment to our uh, show: the I for one welcome our robot overlord segment. I, I agree. Like every last few shows we've been talking about something that's like low low power, sort of smart device, autonomous thing. We you go agree. to this website. It's Chinese researchers build cell-sized bots to carry drugs. It sounds a little more ominous or scary than you'd think, but it's basically they built like sub-micron uh, bots that have some sort of magnetic metal coating on it, and they can basically deliver uh, a larger amount of drugs in a you know in I guess in each little of these microbot devices and. They control it with a magnet, so they can control exactly where it goes, so they can pinpoint exactly where they want the drug to be delivered. And supposedly someday they're saying, like, you know, maybe we could use this to help stroke patients and things like that to get the medicine and things where they need without any sort of surgery at all because it's, it's the size of a single cell, maybe even smaller. So it can just be injected in without anyone feeling anything. There's no, You don't even know that you're getting it inside you, which itself is kind of scary. It probably sounds like something you could do for things like, you know, uh, chemotherapy or, you know, targeted exactly. drugs against an area you couldn't operate in. Right. They're only doing it on rabbits and mice. And of course, they're saying it'll be decades before sure. it's something ready for humans. But I like the last sentence in the article because it's like, tracking the microbot is a huge challenge. It'll be very dangerous if we lose track of the model after injecting into a human body. So it's like famous last words. Yeah. It's kind of scary. <laughs> Me mean you no harm. Exactly. I'm building a tower in your head. So the good news is we put a million of these into you and they cured you. The bad news is only about 500,000 came out. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like a life, a, a, a real life lemming game and someone will be controlling them from the phone. Why is your head turning square? <laughs> All right, well, that's it for the developer news this week for Monday, September 16th, 2013. Subscribe to us through iTunes. You can search for Dev News on iTunes. You can also go to emergingtech.chariotsolutions.com. And you can also search for other uh, podcasts as well. We have the uh, Chariot TechCast. We have the uh, Business of Technology podcast. And we've got all of our screencasts of sessions from Emerging Tech and a number of other shows, all on emergingtech.chariotsolutions.com. So for the Dev News, I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Sujan Kapadia. We destroyed four Furbies during this recording. Excellent. And I'm Joel Confino. And make it a good week. This show, episode 60, is available on our Emerging Technologies pages at emergingtech.chariotsolutions.com. Click on the podcast link or use the short URL emergingtech.chariotsolutions.com slash devnews. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Just search for Chariot Dev News. While you're there, you can browse our interview podcasts, the tech-driven tech casts, and our new business-focused Business of Technology podcast. And browse screencasts from our 2012 and 2013 Emerging Technologies for the Enterprise Conferences, as well as our Science of Big Data show from December of 2012. Emerging Technology Resources from Chariot Solutions. That's emergingtech.chariotsolutions.com. For the Dev News, I'm Ken Rimple. <laughs>